I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Intel has launched its latest round of processor updates, the Order Lake processors, and with it, the promise of more power, more efficiency, and new features. But what does it mean for the likes of you and me? Pocket Lint's Luke Baker joins me to discuss the announcements. Earlier this week, I chatted to Ringo, the parking app, about how it's soon to be coming to a car near you thanks to a new CarPlay integration, as well as looking at what's in store for the future. And on the subject of cars, Pocket Lint's Rick Henderson has been driving fast in Forza Horizon 5 to find out whether it's one to play on the Xbox. Keep listening to find out. But first, back to you, Luke. Tell us more about these new processors and what the announcement means. So uh, Intel have released their Alder Lake processors, um, Essentially, it's an update to their previous generation of processors. Um, and as usual, they're faster and more efficient. Um, the big thing with these is they're much more competitive with AMD's current processors, which for a while AMD have been kind of running away with it. Um, mm-hmm. So Intel getting back in the fight is a great thing for consumers because they'll be one-upping each other once again and uh, we should see a lot of advancements in processes going forward. And so does that mean that these will start to see new refreshes from laptops that we all go and buy normally, or is it just for desktop machines? So at the moment, they've only released details on the desktop variants, but the laptop variants always follow shortly after. And um, a few of the features are actually really geared towards laptop users more than desktop. Um, They have this new thing called dynamic memory boost, which is um, it's essentially a way for memory to run at a faster or lower rate, depending on what you're doing on the computer. So when you need the memory, it's there and it can go fast, but it's not draining power by running at a high speed all the time. Obviously, on a desktop, you don't care because you're plugged into the wall, but it'll really help with battery life on laptops. And so have we seen, normally, as, as this comes out, we then see a barrage of, of of new sort of auxiliary sort of companies all coming out with new motherboards and new things to bolt in. Have we seen that again this time around? Yep. So there's a massive, massive amount of motherboards, as always. Um, another big thing that Alder Lake brings to the table is DDR5 memory, which, to be honest, we don't really know what the performance implications will be, but it's a pretty big redesign, the biggest redesign in a memory platform that we've seen in many, many years. So people are excited for it and um, shouldn't be long before we see what that means for performance. Now, I think the final, the final question I have is, is uh, as with a lot of things in the world, there's supply chain issues and a chip shortage. And here we are talking about new chips being yeah. announced. Do we think that they're going to be available and accessible to everybody? Or is it very much like, a, well, this is the announcement, but don't expect anything for the next six months? Uh, well, it remains to be seen, I suppose. Um, I do think the, the pricing we've seen is a little bit higher than usual. 
and that's probably because of the chip shortage. Um, I assume it's costing more to use the fabrication facilities at the moment. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, hopefully we don't have another situation like with the NVIDIA graphics cards, which look great, but no one can buy. So <laughs> we'll see. Still to come, Rick gives us his verdict on Forza Horizon 5. Well, this finally actually makes use of the Xbox Series X in a way that no other game, in my opinion, has. Paying for parking can be a frustrating thing, but that's quickly changing thanks to various apps and integrations with our cars. But what's in store for the industry and is there room for the companies and services involved to help us pay for, well, other things too? Ringo, the UK's leading cashless parking provider, has just launched a version of their app that's compatible with Apple CarPlay. The move marks a concerted effort to take what was once a pay-over-the-phone service into something much more technologically ready for today's savvy drivers. Wanting to find out more, I spoke to the company's MD, Peter O'Driscoll, and started by asking him to describe what the company actually does. Yes, now I think um, for anyone who's not familiar with phone parking, uh, Ringo is the uh, UK's number one provider of cashless parking. Uh, we started off around about oh, 15, 16 years ago now, um, where the, the concept of phone parking was very much driven by what's called uh, interactive voice recognition software, um, it's IVR. Right. Um, it's come on a long way since then, particularly with the advent of uh, smartphone applications and then things like the App Store, Google Play, um, to a point now where Ringo is responsible for covering about probably 70% of local authorities. And of that, we probably account for about 30% of all local authority parking income that's processed. Um, we have around about 80 million registered users. That's one eight. Uh, and we have um, seen a, a great growth in our, our products particularly since post-COVID, uh, where people have moved away significantly from cash into digital services. I think as an overall product, um, you know, Ringo has evolved, again, quite a lot. Uh, we've moved from being kind of a standalone cashless product to a much wider provider of digital services, including permit applications, uh, and also we're quite heavily linked into emission-based parking, which helps make our cities more livable uh, and health- healthier for people. Cool. And so sometimes, you know, there was a point where, and still is, where you can kind of find yourself parking somewhere and there's a, a multitude of apps available. Um, and it does feel sometimes just like a land grab of, of who's managed to get in to do which deal with which local authority or, or which parking, you know, whoever owns that parking spot. Do you think that's something that's that's hindering the industry or do you think there should be something like a, a one app to, that, that allows you to access everybody's, you know, parking system? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, in fact, indeed a statement. I think certainly in the early days, it has been very much a, a land grab in terms of trying to secure as much inventory as possible. But I think really as an industry and as a marketplace, we should look beyond that. And I would suggest if you look at somewhere like Europe, uh, where we where, where our parent company sits, um, there's a model called multi-vendor. Um, and in those marketplaces, what happens there is you have multiple providers being available at the same parking spot. And that right. means that as a consumer, you have freedom of choice to use the product that you feel is most appropriate for you, but the one you like using. I also think that model changes the market and the way it operates in terms of, if you think about something like the UK or the US, for example, which are very much a, a tender-driven market where we compete for contracts um, and they last for three to five years, typically speaking. If you look at the uh, where that model works, it really drives down price to the lowest point. And it means that the provider of the mobile phone parking services focused on the local authority and not the consumer as much. Now, what we've done on the continent is 
change that model so that we're forced to innovate or focus our innovation uh, so that consumers pick our product, not us being the cheapest or the most expensive, but we try to drive innovation out. And so how do you, you know, I've used Ringo, I've used other, others as well. And, you know, there's a, a sense that it, it, there are certain features. What do you think is your defining feature that, you know, really stands out and that you're kind of most proud of within the app? I think for us, it's the uh, the simplification of our user experience. Um, it's you can park within a couple of taps. Uh, we enjoy strong ratings in the App Store and Google Play Store. Regularly hitting over four point six, four point eight. Um, but as a kind of our, our our most recent standout feature is probably the integration with the in-car services. Um, how that will sort of, I think, lay out the future for for parking and indeed digital services. And that's kind of where you've you've done a tie-in with with CarPlay, for example. How and BMW, I know you you support their their system as well, don't you? How do you how do you go about deciding which car systems to support? Our cars are getting more and more complex, and you know more software driven. If you kind of go the far end of the scale with Tesla, for example, it's 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 all an app. So how do you go about working with which car company first? Um, again, looking at car manufacturers. Uh, they've adopted different models. Um, some of the manufacturers, like BMW, for example, um, like Mercedes, want you to operate within their own proprietary systems. Um, and what we tend to find there is that the integrations work, um, but it tends to be quite embedded within the, uh, the core manufacturer software. Then you have your other approach, um, like either Tesla or Polestar, where they look to work within the uh, phone um, provider system, such as, you know, the at the marketplace or Apple Play or CarPlay. And what we see there is um, those kind of integrations are much quicker and much faster because of working with a, a pretty much a consistent ecosystem, but also users are um, used to those environments within which they use their, their applications, not just parking, but it might be music, might be screening you know, TV mm-hmm. or, or other services or news. And what we find there is that the adoption is much higher for users with it when we work within the uh, environments of the ios or android services and so do you feel that there's a stage you know we're certainly at the beginning of this and i know there's there's alexa integration as well isn't there now as on that side Correct. of things yes Does, do you do you see it as a stage of, of at one point the app will become redundant because it's kind of it knows where you are it's all automated once you start talking right you know there's a gps and you've got all those kind of functionalities it, it just says well i know you're here you must need to park because I can tell that the car is here. You know, do you think that's, is that where it's going? It is. And I think it depends on the, the parking model as well, because again, in different marketplaces, you have different ways of paying for parking. Uh, so for example, uh, in the Netherlands, for example, they have a model called start stop where you, you know, you start your parking. When you come back to your car, you stop your parking. In that scenario, that's ideally suited to being in the in-car environment because you drive along, as you say, the car recognizes that you stopped it recognizes from the uh, long lap where you are. It says, do you want to park? And you say yes. And then the session starts. When you get in, back in the car, we have developed a functionality called auto stop. It predicts when you're starting to move away from your vehicle and traveling at speed. And it will then prompt you, do you want to stop your parking session? So that's the kind of the, the fully seamless integrated service. Hmm. And in that environment, I could see the use of the phone parking app diminish. But in other marketplaces like the UK, where you have what's called a buy time model, where you're required to buy fixed amounts of time, Arguably, you still need your phone with you because potentially if you're going to be more than two hours, if you've booked two hours, and you want to stay for another hour, you can extend remotely via the app. So you wouldn't probably want to retain the app on your person. And therefore, I think 
the transition from fully in car to app will be a much slower journey in those kind of marketplaces. And I think if you look at the comparison, and that's not so much around in car, but certainly the transition from IVR, which is the automated telephone service, to the uh, app service, that took probably six or seven years to take place. Right. Um, and I think in car is the same, and that's based around people getting used to different technology, but also the life cycle of a vehicle, which is typically eight to nine years before you get it goes through the full, shall we say, replacement. And do you think, do you see that's your biggest challenge is kind of trying to work with, you know, either the technologies of the cars or, or the apps, or or is it working with the mentality of, of how we've historically charged for parking in this country? It's a mixture. Um, I think it, it's a combination of, you know, is there an opportunity to change the parking model? Um, I think there is. Um, we've certainly seen some early movers in the UK. Um, places like London Borough of Wandsworth, they operate a start-stop system. Uh, Leeds operate it. We've got a few coastal locations that operate it. So I think there is an opportunity to do that, but I think it will take some time. I think the bigger challenge is going to be around people just getting used to moving away from their, their phone to the in-car service. And I think what will change that, and certainly, again, something we've launched on the continent in, in the, the Nordics, is uh, the integration of electric vehicle charging and paying for parking. That's a big game-changer for me because... Um, this does then, I think, move you firmly into the environment of the vehicle um, because you're going to be charging the car and parking the car at the same time. And I think when that happens, that's when we'll start to see more adoption of in-car payments of parking uh, because it'll be linked to charging your electric vehicle. And that was that was kind of going to be one of my further questions is, you know, what do you see, it's quite a broad question, but what do you see as the future of parking when it you know comes to Ringo? Well, I think the future of parking is going to be a much wider product-based service. Um, I see the future being tolling integrated in, within the product. Now, admittedly, in the UK, you've probably got maybe a dozen, 15 toll roads that, that would apply to. But even somewhere like the uh, Dartford Crossing, if that was incorporated, that certainly would um, open up the uh, the product's use and application. We see more em- emission-based or ultra-low emission zones or c- in the clean air zones coming in across the UK. Um, and again, that could potentially in the future be linked into the Ringo product because we know that you're in a zone. We can send you an alert that you're in a zone. And we know what vehicle type you've got. And we would know whether you're eligible to pay the charge or not. Um, so that is something I see expanding within our product. And then I think uh, we'll also see the, the charging and, and parking uh, being incorporated into one payment. That has some legs to go in terms of journey time. And we're starting to see that happen. And if I look at Europe, which tends to be about three to four years ahead of us, they've already done that. So it's coming to the UK shores you know, over the next 12 to 18, 24 months, I think. And how do you see that? that working in practice and the the model i think will possibly move to one where at the moment you pay a, a convenience fee for using the service and it might move towards a, a subscription model much like the, the netflix or you know the amazon prime model you know i think when people first launched their streaming services you used to download the films and pay for each film you downloaded sure and then someone worked out actually more more better value for the consumers of a subscription service with a defined package um, and I think phone parking at some juncture will go that way. But for that to happen, you need to be able to open the marketplace to have this concept called multi-vendor, where you can, in effect, roam across the UK or use your, your services in every location. And I think that becomes a real viable opportunity for both consumers and, and, and us as a provider. So that's very much on the consumer side. And then I think on the product side, I think the next big thing is going to be electric vehicle charging and parking. And I think what we'll see there is... Uh, fixed fee tariffs coming through, integrations into the charge point operators where we'll take the feed of tariff information and then bill off to the consumer as they park their, their vehicle. Yeah, because I suppose apart from Tesla, who's got their own supercharger network, there is a, a sense that, 
and, and therefore the credit card details of you already when you buy the car, you know, the electricity, ecotricity stuff and, and others, you know, polar and things like that require you to become a member to be able to get the key to then be able to get a charge and all those kind of things, which has kind of inhibited some of the, the possibilities of charging for electric cars across the UK. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think the electric charging or payment for electric vehicle charging is very much where phone parking was, you know, um, 12, 13, 14 years ago. Um, and I've seen it over the course of that time that I've been in the, in the industry. You know, we started off with six, seven players. I think in the charge point operate, operator, well, there's over 30 players out there at the moment. And they're all going for that land grab. And I think at some point, there'll be consolidation, as we've seen in phone parking. And I think I'd like to think that this would support the concept of aggregation and multi-vendor because it's one thing to have to be concerned about which parking app do I use to pay for parking. It's another to run out of charge and not be able to charge anywhere you need to at any point in time. So I think that combination of charging and parking could lead to a change in the whole market construct of both those services. When it comes to arcade racers, there are few as accomplished as the Forza Horizon series. Each iteration has grown in both size and quality, with Forza Horizon 4 in particular having overtaken its stalemate, Forza Motorsports, at the top of our favourite racing game list. Now in a fifth outing, Forza Horizon 5, which has been made with the Xbox Series X and S in mind, is here. But is it any good? Rick Henderson has been playing the new game and joins me to tell us how he's been getting on. So, Rick, what's new and does it live up to the hype so rick tell us more well forza horizon 5 is genuinely superb let's get that out there right now <laughs> um <laughs> this is quite simply the game that xbox series s and x owners have been waiting for it's the it's the game that has brought those consoles finally kicking and screaming to the party um it's it's xbox's big exclusive pre-Halo Infinite, so it had to get it right, and um, it sure does. Graphically, it is stunning. The new location of Mexico is enormous. It's way bigger than any other Forza Horizon game we've seen before. Um, you get so much content, so many different types of race types, so many different types of biomes, as in terrain and settings that you race within, different events, different user-generated content, over 500 cars. I mean, this is this is a mammoth it's big, undertaking. It? Yeah, there are caveats. Um, if you own Forza Horizon 4, you'll actually not not feel like it's much of an improvement. It's the actual gameplay itself is identical, but that's right. essentially because Forza Horizon 4 was a five star game. Mm. I mean, it already was superb in its handling and car control. So why why fit? You know, and so is this more? Stuff. Is this more about new ex, new places to explore, new cars to drive, and things like that, or if and, and better graphics, I presume, because it's on obviously next gen. Is 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 it more about that than just about? Has the gameplay changed that much? Yeah, the gameplay itself hasn't changed that much, but obviously race types have because you are playing on different things. As I I mentioned before, biomes are quite significant, as is dynamic weather in this latest chapter. Um, for example. Um, if you unlock the jungle biome, then you get to race across right through Mexican jungles, which make, which is vastly different to, say, racing across sand dunes in a desert mm. or down on a beach or within or a city. Cotswolds. Yeah, or, or in a cityscape. <laughs> and, and the other thing is, and this is, this is quite good for people who, who, are, who know Forza Horizon 4 and know the streets of the UK, which we used last time, 
it's quite a nice sea change. It's like going on holiday <laughs> because the quality of the, the, the sun-baked um, atmosphere is much nicer than the dreary country lanes uh, of uh, Forza Horizon 4 at times. Um, but as I mentioned before, dynamic weather also plays a massive part. And this time you also get enormous sandstorms to race through where you can barely see anything in front of you. You get uh, thunder and lightning and 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 sort of and like so rainforest conditions. And when you talk about dynamic weather, is that is that just it's changing randomly whatever happens, or is it actually tied in with some location in Mexico where you happen to be racing or whatever the country yeah, whatever the weather's like on that day in that place? It's effectively uh, directionally, uh, sorry, locationally focused in the fact that you're not going to get a sandstorm in the jungle, for example. Right. Um, you'll get, and you're more likely to get rain in a city or in the jungle. Um, but it can happen pretty much for most races at any time. It's dynamic. It, it might, it might suddenly just kick in on a certain race. Of course, there are also huge amounts of other races. One new thing that's come with Forza Horizon Five is Event Lab, which allow not only allows um, users to create events, as in a car and a, a certain area but also the track itself and for, you know you can go down to minute details so you can set the exact weather conditions in that but the dynamic weather system works really well anyway and it, it creates variety throughout the game and do you think this is good enough to go and buy an xbox 4 if you haven't already well, this finally actually makes use of the Xbox Series X in a way that no other game, in my opinion, has. Um, it's absolutely incredible. There are two graphics modes, 4K, um, both are in 4K, sorry. One's quality and one's performance, which means that in performance mode, it's 60 frames per second, but still 4K, or you get 4K oh. 30 in the quality mode. The only thing that changes is sort of like the amount of foliage or the draw distance. So they dynamically scale the actual sort of terrain, the amount of elements in the terrain, depending on which of the two modes that you play. So if you're really into your smooth gameplay, it looks superb in the 60 FPS mode. But if you really want that visual fidelity, you go for the other. And that essentially means that they've produced easily the best looking game on the Xbox Series X so far. I and mean, if you're and if you're an S owner, do you do you get? I suppose you don't benefit from. You certainly won't benefit from the 4K 60, will you? No, but you do get 1080p 30 and 1080p 60. Oh, okay. um, and also, that was based also on our review sample. We have been told by Developer Playground that they are aiming to get the 30 frames per second mode up to 1440p for uh, at some point after launch. So, um, so you're really going to get a really good experience, even on a much cheaper, more less capable machine. Well, we've not seen the Xbox One version, and I can't imagine how they'll accomplish any of what I've just said yeah. um, on an Xbox One, especially older Xbox Ones, um, and not the Xbox One X. Um, but also, if you have a Windows PC, of course, you're going to get even better because you'll have a you can you can choose the ultra modes depending on your PC's capabilities. Now, you seem to have waxed lyrical for the last four or five minutes on this. There must be something that you don't like. Um, apart from the, from the over-familiarity at times of the, of the gameplay, because having been a big Forza Horizon 4 player, um, I just felt like I was just playing the same game at times. Um, apart from that, there are very minor, minor, t tiny little things that are such small little caveats, like... Um, 
some of the there were glitches, a few glitches while I was playing it, but that might just be because I was playing a pre-release code. Mm. Um, it, it's just so much fun that you can overlook everything. It's genuinely, and also sometimes when when I'm talking about that sixty frames per second mode and the terrain being less populated, it zips past you so quickly you can barely notice anyway. <laughs> it's only when you kind of stop the car and you look in like at one point there's a massive volcano on in in the um on the map and you can actually go up to the top and look into the volcano and race around the side of it um and when you kind of stop and really look at the at the lava it's it's a bit pixelated it's not great but you never see it like that yeah <laughs> you never yeah really and work. so this is this is games pass isn't it it's you don't have, you don't have to buy it there's the other kicker. Um, you can buy it individually if you're not a big fan of paying monthly for your, for 300 plus games and all the cloud gaming, etc. But it is also available on Xbox Game Pass. And with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, you not only get the Xbox version, the Windows version for free, you also get the cloud version. So you can play on your phone as well. There we go. So, I mean, Xbox certainly has it down and this is the game to actually make that shine. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.